Thank you for tuning in to the God and Cancel Culture podcast. We're up to chapter seven, going through the book chapter by chapter. I'm Stephen Strang, the author. I read the audio version of the book, and I'm sharing with you part of each chapter, one chapter a day, day by day by day, is to encourage you to listen to the entire audio book and also to buy the book. And today we're up to chapter 7, The Political Battlefield, and it's mainly how pastors and Christians have gotten involved in politics just fighting for our fundamental religious rights and freedom of assembly and expression. I write a lot about COVID and those kinds of things. So here it is, chapter 7, The Political Battlefield, and I have a message at the end. Ventura County borders Los Angeles County to the northwest and boasts a rural vibe, a far smaller population, and plenty of horses and hillsides. The county has a history of championing freedom and conservative values. The Ronald Reagan Library is located there in the city of Simi Valley. But during the mass hysteria surrounding the COVID-19 outbreak, Ventura County became ground zero for bizarre and heavy-handed responses by unelected health bureaucrats. That overreaction set the stage for a handful of local leaders to take a stand for civil and religious freedoms that vaulted them to national attention. Rob McCoy was serving on the Thousand Oaks City Council and had been the mayor of this city of more than 125,000 residents that sits on U.S. Route 101 between Los Angeles and Santa Barbara. Thousand Oaks has often been ranked in the top four safest cities in America, but has had a couple of difficult years with the recent wildfires and the 2018 mass shooting at the Borderline Bar and Grill, which left 13 dead. McCoy is an unusual figure in that he not only excels in the political sphere, but also is the pastor of Godspeak Calvary Chapel in that city. For years, he has exhorted Christians to become more involved in politics lest they lose their influence and their rights. When COVID-19 hit, initiating a kind of mass hysteria throughout the county, McCoy quickly found himself in a dogfight for civil and religious liberties right in his own town. Godspeak Calvary Chapel, like most churches, complied voluntarily with the government guidelines for the first few weeks when the severity of the virus was unknown. But as it became clear it was a relatively tame illness, ultra-liberal California Governor Gavin Newsom declared churches were not essential. However, abortion clinics, cannabis distributors, and liquor stores were essential. McCoy was upset. To make matters worse, Newsom did this before the first Sunday of the month, April 4th, when Godspeak was planning to serve communion. McCoy and his elder board decided to hold the communion service anyway, while following all CDC standards. We wanted to put forward that we're essential, McCoy told me recently. The governor has no right to silence the church, none at all. In this age of fear and instant outrage, his church's private, voluntary decision caused a firestorm of protests that even landed the church in the international press. McCoy knew the city council on which he served would not defend him based on the U.S. Constitution, to which members had sworn allegiance. 
It would instead censure him for going against the public guidelines. So he called the city manager and the other council members and resigned. It seemed McCoy had lost his political career and given up a place of public influence to stand on principle. It was admirable, but where would it lead? Within days, the people of the community voted with their feet. Thousands began attending Godspeak, whose sanctuary has about 400 seats. Communion on that first Sunday took more than three hours to serve because of the number of people who showed up to receive. The press descended on the place and seemed poised to paint the church as super-spreaders whose reckless decision would kill half the community, the elderly in particular. But that prognostication proved entirely false. The only outbreak from that meeting was one of insanity by Ventura County leaders who began to threaten the church with fines and legal action. This caused even more people to flock to Godspeak, which for months was one of the few churches in the county meeting in person. While thousands rallied to the cause of freedom, of religion, and assembly, a county public health official began a strange, cockeyed rampage against basic constitutional liberties. Joel Kilpatrick, who lives in Thousand Oaks and has forged an alliance with McCoy and others to fight for freedom both locally and nationally, said Ventura County's public health agency has seen its annual budget swell over the years to hundreds of millions of dollars, primarily funded by federal and state grants. This means the state and federal governments essentially usurp local control of health issues. Kilpatrick told me, the county hires a bunch of people based on all that grant money, and to renew that grant money and not have to fire people, they have to keep doing what the state tells them to do. While Godspeak was growing exponentially, Dr. Robert Levin, an unelected county public health officer who makes nearly $300,000 a year, started holding press conferences to talk about his plans to forcibly isolate infected people, taking them from their own homes and putting them in unspecified alternative housing. He also cheerfully talked about placing thermometers on normal citizens to track them around town to source outbreaks. Strangely, he even gushed about wanting to experiment with testing local sewage for the virus because apparently it is detectable in public sewage. The idea was to trace outbreaks back to specific parts of town. Where were the Ventura County supervisors while this madness was being spouted? They scattered like cockroaches, Kilpatrick told me. They quit meeting in person, quit being accountable to the public in any real way. They were not up to the job. Instead, they empowered these public health officers who are not responsible to the voters. Many county officials feel cowed by Sacramento, where California's current governor is known to be especially punitive. He is up for recall vote in the fall of 2021, about the time this book releases. He's a vindictive man, said Kilpatrick, who knows leaders who work with Newsom. They tell me he's a Rehoboam, not a Solomon. Rehoboam was the king after Solomon, and he was vindictive toward the people and wanted to punish and control them. That's Gavin Newsom's character. If a city votes against him, he will come against that city, no matter how small. If a county goes against what he's dictating from Sacramento, 
he will strongly come against that county and try to strip them of funds. The once freedom-loving Ventura County did not even attempt to defend its residents. Instead, it rolled over and tried to enforce the state's weird, draconian rules. I heard about it all the way to Florida, and during the pandemic, I interviewed both Kilpatrick and McCoy on my Strang Report podcast because it was one of the worst examples of government overreach. And while the restrictions affected only the residents of Ventura County, they had nationwide implications since if these actions went unchecked, other officials might follow suit. Kilpatrick and McCoy began making noise in their circles of influence. Kilpatrick was the first to call for Dr. Levin's firing or resignation. Levin responded by mocking those who were into the Constitution and might try to put blockades in front of his ideas. Within days, national media took notice, and he and the county were held up to scorn on Fox News' Tucker Carlson Tonight and many other platforms. Still, the county persisted in harassing churches, businesses, and private citizens, threatening fines, closures, and even arrests. Kilpatrick said, We were blown away by how quickly public health was weaponized against free citizens and against the free exercise of religion and speech and assembly. Arrested in Florida. I was told by Matt Staver of Liberty Council that my friend Rodney Howard Brown, who founded the River at Tampa Bay in Florida, was the first pastor in the world to be arrested for opening his church during the COVID-19 pandemic. He was also the first pastor in American history to be arrested for the offense of holding a church service. To the credit of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, less than two days later, DeSantis issued an executive order declaring attendance at churches and places of worship an essential activity. He then overrode every local order and free churches throughout the Sunshine State. But for McCoy, the pressure worsened and became truly Orwellian. In August 2020, the county sharpened its knives and came after Godspeak again. McCoy had given up his elected position, but he gained a much larger national platform as a true freedom fighter. He began touring the country with Charlie Kirk of Turning Point USA and Stump for the re-election of Donald Trump. Apparently, Ventura County supervisors felt they needed to put McCoy and the entire church back in their place of subservience to government mandates. Three of the five supervisors voted to use county money to hire an attorney and seek a temporary restraining order against the church and McCoy personally, empowering authorities to arrest not only McCoy, but also the first thousand congregants or visitors who disobeyed the order. Then they were to have the sheriff enforce the order, possibly locking the church building and arresting McCoy and a thousand attendees. A judge approved the order, citing an immediate threat to public health and safety due to the 2019 novel coronavirus, McCoy told me. Mind you, we had been open wide since after the LA riots occurred on May 31st, 2020, and the governor praised Black Lives Matter. 75% of the businesses that were burned and looted were Jewish-owned, and they were targeted, and the looters did it without masks or social distancing, and the governor praised them. We knew this wasn't about science or medicine. It was about power and politics. 
So the supervisors tried to exert their force on us, and so we violated that restraining order. McCoy and Kilpatrick showed up at the church that Sunday, knowing they and many others could be arrested, that McCoy could lose both the church and his house, and people could go to jail. But when they arrived that morning, the most amazing things happened, McCoy said. Churches from all over California and western states drove to our church and surrounded our church. When I walked in, they said, we're here because we're all in agreement. We're going to get citations so that you and your congregants can worship in peace. But while those Christians were voting yes for freedom, nearly all other pastors in the area were voting no. Months earlier, when word spread that Godspeak was considering holding its communion service, a number of pastors called and said, you're going to be a detriment to the gospel. You're going to ruin our reputation in the community. Please don't do what you're going to do, McCoy told me. The body of Christ was divided, and I told them, you guys don't understand. From a pastoral perspective, you think that peace is the absence of conflict. But not only am I a pastor, I also hold office, and I know exactly what these elected officials are attempting to do. So I'm going to move forward with the knowledge I have, and you can join me or protest against me. But I've chosen clearly. I've weighed the choices. I wish I could say that the reaction of those pastors surprised me. It's hardly a secret that many pastors are passive and don't want to be criticized. As I've written before in my 45-year career as a Christian journalist, I've observed that many pastors are not true leaders. They go into the ministry for other valid reasons. Maybe they have a counseling gift or perhaps a teaching gift, or maybe they just love people. We want pastors to love people, but many have no real backbone. In these times, we need strong spiritual leaders who are willing to take a stand. Part of my reason for writing this book is to make this point, hoping pastors who read it will wake up and see what's happening not only to our country, but to the religious freedoms most Christians take for granted. I witnessed this passivity firsthand when I supported Mike Huckabee for president in 2008. Huckabee is a godly man, a former Baptist preacher, truly a dream candidate for conservative Christians. He was lieutenant governor for Arkansas and became governor when the former governor, Jim Guy Tucker, was convicted on conspiracy and fraud charges in the Clinton-Whitewater scandal. Huckabee served for 10 years and did a great job as governor. I thought if ever a conservative evangelical could get elected, it was Huckabee. I did everything I could in my circle of influence to rally support for him, including raising a whole lot of money for his campaign. But I ran into near total apathy on the part of pastors who seemed hesitant to publicly support a gifted Christian brother who is capable of winning elections and governing well. That opened my eyes to the fear that pastors and nonprofit leaders feel when it comes to entering the political realm. The Paper Tiger Johnson Amendment. This is Stephen Strang. I'm back in the studio. I hope you enjoyed Chapter 7. Tomorrow I'm sharing Chapter 8, Persecution in America. Meanwhile, you can download the entire audiobook on several different platforms. I did on Audible. Listen to it myself. It was kind of interesting listen, listening to myself read the book. I hope you'll want to do it or to buy the book. It's available many places. Amazon, of course, Barnes & Noble, 
Christian book distributors, but it's also easiest to go to stevestrangbooks.com. That's my own website, and you can see all kinds of special offers and different things that are there that will interest you. Then tune in again tomorrow.